Section 18 of History of the Catholic Church from the Renaissance to the French Revolution, Volume 1, by Reverend James McCaffrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As an earnest student of canon law, Paul V was too inclined to maintain all the rights and privileges of the Church as they were expounded in the decretals of the Middle Ages. This attitude of mind brought him into a prolonged and inglorious conflict with the Republic of Venice. This latter state, regardless of the privilegium fori, imprisoned two clerics without reference to the ecclesiastical authorities, and about the same time gave great offence by passing laws rendering it difficult for the church to acquire ownership of landed property, to build new churches or monasteries, or to found new religious orders or societies. Paul V lodged a solemn protest against these innovations. When his demands were not complied with, he issued a sentence of excommunication against the doge, senate and government and later on he placed venice under interdict sixteen o six the quarrel was so bitter that at one time it was feared that it might end in separating the republic from the centre of unity cardinals baronius and bellarmine entered the list in defence of the pope while the notorious ex-servite paul sarpi fifteen fifty two to sixteen twenty three undertook to reply to them on behalf of venice the government forbade the promulgation of the interdict and threatened the most severe punishment against all clergy who should observe it with the exceptions of the jesuits capuchins and theatines who were expelled the clergy both secular and regular took no notice of the interdict it was feared that in the end the issues could be decided only by war in which spain was prepared to support the pope but through the friendly intervention of henry the fourth of france peace was concluded without any very decisive victory on either side 1607. The clergy who were expelled for obeying the interdict were allowed to return, except the Jesuits. These latter were permitted to settle in Venice again only in 1657. On the death of Paul V, Cardinal Ludovisi ascended the papal throne under the title of Gregory XV, 1621-23. The new pope had been educated by the Jesuits and had risen rapidly in the service of the Church. At the time of his election he was old and infirm, but by the appointment of his nephew Ludovico to the College of Cardinals he secured for himself an able and loyal assistant. To put an end to several abuses that had taken place in connection with papal elections, he published the bull Decent Romanum Pontificum, 1622, in which were laid down minute regulations about conclaves, the most important of which were that the cardinals should vote secretly, that they should vote only for one candidate, and that no elector should vote for himself. In providing funds for the assistance of the Catholic missions, Gregory the Fifteenth was very generous, as was also his cardinal nephew. The success of the missionaries had been so great, and the conditions of the various countries in which they laboured so different, that proper supervision of the new provinces of the Church was by no means easy. Gregory the Thirteenth and Clement the Eighth had appointed commissions to look after the spiritual wants of particular districts but it was reserved for Gregory the Fifteenth to establish a permanent congregation, De Propaganda Fide, Bull Inscrutabili, 1622, to superintend the entire field of Catholic missions. He had the honor, too, of canonizing St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Francis Xavier, and St. Philip Neri, and of approving the foundation of several new religious orders. During the Thirty Years' War, he afforded every possible assistance to Ferdinand II, and helped to secure the Palatinate for Maximilian of Bavaria on the expulsion of Frederick. 
In return for this favour, Maximilian presented the Pope with a goodly portion of the library of Heidelberg. By the judicious interposition of Gregory the Fifteenth, war was averted between Spain and Austria, on the one side, and France, Venice, and Savoy on the other, regarding the possession of the Valteline, while in England, though the Spanish match which he favoured was broken off, he succeeded in securing some respite for the persecuted Catholics. In the conclave that followed upon the death of Gregory the Fifteenth, Cardinal Barberini received the support of the electors and was proclaimed Pope as Urban the Eighth, sixteen twenty three to forty four. The new Pope was a man of exemplary life, whose greatest fault was his excessive partiality towards his relatives, though it must be said that some of the relatives on whom he bestowed favours were by no means unworthy of them. As a native of Florence, he seems to have caught up something of the spirit of classical learning for which that city had been so renowned, as was shown unfortunately too clearly in the breviary that he published in 1632. He issued the bull Inquina Domini in its final form, founded a national college in Rome for students from Ireland, and issued a series of strict and minute regulations on canonization and beatification, many of which remain in force till the present time. The interests of the foreign missions were especially dear to the heart of Urban VIII. To provide a supply of priests for them, he established the celebrated Collegium Urbanum, 1627, and established their printing press for the use of the missionaries. He reduced the number of holidays of obligation, opened China and Japan, till then reserved for the Jesuits, to all missionaries, and forbade slavery of whatsoever kind in Paraguay, Brazil, and the West Indies. For many reasons, the political policy of Urban VIII has been criticized very severely. Too much money was wasted by him in fortifying the Papal States, and on the disastrous war with the Duke of Parma, 1641-44. to He has been blamed also for his failure to support Ferdinand II, more energetically during the Thirty Years' War, but in reality this hostile view is based largely on a distorted view of the war itself and of the policy of the Pope. It is not true that the Pope sympathized with Gustavus Adolphus, or that he grieved over his death. Neither is it true that he procured the dismissal of Wallenstein from the imperial service. It is a fact, undoubtedly, that he did not take energetic measures to prevent the French from assisting the Protestant princes and the Swedes against the Emperor. But it remains to be proved that any remonstrances from the Pope, however strong, would have proved effectual in the circumstances. In the later stages, at any rate, the war could not be regarded at first sight as a religious one, but at the same time it is to be regretted that Urban VIII did not recognize that the triumph of the enemies of the Emperor meant a triumph over Lutheranism. In the war between Spain and Portugal, consequent upon the proclamation of the Duke of Braganza, he endeavored to preserve an attitude of neutrality by refusing to appoint to Episcopal sees in Portugal the candidates presented by the new king. The policy of Urban VIII in regard to England and Ireland will be dealt with under these countries. When the conclave met to elect a successor to Urban VIII, it was soon discovered that some of the cardinals wished to elect a pope friendly to Spain, while others favoured a pro-French pope. At length, as neither party was sufficiently strong to ensure the required majority for its nominee, a more or less neutral candidate was found in the person of the Cardinal Pamphili, who took the title of Innocent X. 1644 to 55. He was a man of advanced years, who had served in many offices with success, and who possessed many of the qualifications required in a good ruler of the church. Unfortunately, his flagrant nepotism did him much harm, 
and gave occasion to ugly rumours utterly devoid of truth. Finding the papal treasury empty after his election, and believing that the relatives of the late Pope were responsible for this, he took steps to secure a return from them, but they fled to France, where they placed themselves under the protection of Cardinal Mazarin, who succeeded in bringing about a reconciliation. Innocent X restored order in the papal states, punished the Duke of Parma for his crimes, especially for his supposed connection with the murder of the Bishop of Castro, and maintained friendly relations with Venice, which he assisted against the Turks. He was deeply pained by the terms of the Peace of Westphalia, 1648, against which his representatives had protested in vain, and which he condemned in the bull, Zelos Domus Dei, published in November, 1648. THE RELIGIOUS ORDERS AND THE COUNTER-REFORMATION The religious orders, like most other institutions of the age preceding the Reformation, stood badly in need of reorganization and reform. Various causes had combined to bring about a relaxation of the discipline prescribed by their holy founders, and to introduce a spirit of worldliness that boded ill, both for the individual members as well as for the success of the work for which these orders had been established. The interference of outside authorities, lay or ecclesiastical, in the appointment of superiors, the union of several houses under one superior, the accumulation of wealth, the habitual neglect of the superiors to make their visitations, and a general carelessness in the selection and training of the candidates to be admitted into the various institutions, were productive of disastrous results. It is difficult, however, to arrive at a correct estimate as to the extent of the evil, because the condition of affairs varied very much in the different religious orders, and in the different provinces and houses of the same order. At all times a large proportion of the religious of both sexes recognized and deplored the spirit of laxity that had crept in, and labored strenuously for return to the old ideals, long before the Lutheran campaign had made it necessary to choose between reform and suppression. The Benedictines, who had done excellent work for the promotion of the spiritual and temporal welfare of the people, amongst whom they laboured, suffered more than any other body from the interference of lay patrons and the appointment of abbots, as well as from the want of any central authority capable of controlling individual houses, and of insisting upon the observance of the rules and constitution. Various efforts were made, however, to introduce reforms during the sixteenth century. In France, the most important of these reforms was that begun in the Abbey of St. Vannes by the abbot Didier de la Cour. Recognizing the sad condition of affairs, he labored incessantly to bring about a return to the strict rule of St. Benedict. His efforts were approved by Clement VIII in 1604. Many houses in France having accepted the reform, it was resolved to unite them into one congregation under the patronage of St. Maur, the disciple of St. Benedict. The new congregation of St. Maur was sanctioned by Louis Thirteenth and by Pope Gregory Fifteenth, 1621. The Maurists devoted themselves to the study of the sacred sciences, more especially to history, liturgy, and patrology, and set an example of thorough scholarship which won for them the praise of both friends and foes. The names of Diarchi, Mabillon, Runart, Martin, Thierry, Lamy, and Bouquet are not likely to be forgotten so long as such works as the Implicima Collectio Veterum Scriptorum, Thesaurus Anecdotorum, Gallia Christiana, Historiae Literae de la France, De Re Diplomatica, Leorte Veri Fairlestatus, the Recordes Historians de Gallas, etc., survived to testify to the labors and research of the Congregation of St. Mar. 
the reform movement among the dominicans had made itself manifest from the days of raymond of capua thirteen ninety who ordered that in every province there should be at least one house where the rule of st dominic might be observed in its original strictness the success of the reform varied in the different countries and even in the different houses of the same province but in the sixteenth century the general tendency was undoubtedly upwards the religious rebellion inflicted serious losses on the order and led to the almost complete extinction of provinces that once were flourishing but the spanish and portuguese discoveries in america and the spread of the missionary movement opened up for the order new fields where its members were destined to do lasting service to religion and to win back in the new world more than they had lost in the old discipline among the cistercians too had become relaxed but a general improvement set in which led to the formation of new congregations the principal of which were the congregation of the fiulants approved by sixtus v and of the trappists which take their name from the monastery of la trappe and owe their origin to the zealous efforts of the abbot de rance the franciscans were divided already into the observants and the conventuals but even among the observants the deteriorating influence of the age had made itself felt matteo de bassi set himself in the convent of montefalco to procure a complete return to the original rule of st francis and proceeded to rome to secure the approbation of clement the seventh in fifteen twenty eight by the bull religionis zealous the pope permitted himself and his followers to separate from the observance to wear the hood capuccio hence the name capuchins which matteo claimed to have been the dress of st francis to wear the beard to found separate houses in italy and to preach to the people soon the capuchins spread through italy and so popular did they become that gregory the thirteenth withdrew the regulations by which they were forbidden to found separate houses outside of italy the new order suffered many trials more especially after the apostasy of its vicar-general ochino in fifteen forty four but with the blessing of god these difficulties were overcome the capuchins rendered invaluable service to religion by their simple straightforward style of preaching so opposed as it was to the literary vaporings that passed for sermons at the time by their familiar intercourse with the poor whom they assisted in both spiritual and temporal misfortunes by their unswerving loyalty to the pope and by the work they accomplished on the foreign missions more especially in those lands which had once been the glory of the church but where religion had been extinguished almost completely by the domination of the saracen the revival was not confined however merely to a reform of the older religious orders the world had changed considerably since the constitutions of these bodies had been formulated by their holy founders new conditions and new dangers necessitated the employment of new weapons and new methods for the defence of religion fortunately a band of zealous men were raised up by god to grapple with the problems of the age and to lay the foundation of religious societies many of which were destined to confer benefits on religion hardly less permanent and less valuable than had been conferred in other times by such distinguished servants of god as st benedict st dominic and st francis of assisi the theatines so called from the theati the diocese of peter caraffa had their origin in a little confraternity founded by Gaetano de tini a venetian who gathered around him a few disciples all of them like himself zealous for the spiritual improvement of both clergy and people fifteen twenty four during a visit to rome gaetano succeeded in eliciting the sympathy of peter caraffa then bishop of theati and afterwards cardinal and pope 
and in inducing him to become the first superior of the community. The institution was approved by Clement the Seventh in 1524. Its founders aimed at introducing a higher standard of spiritual life amongst both clergy and laity by means of preaching and by the establishment of charitable institutions. The order spread rapidly in Italy, where it did much to save the people from the influence of Lutheranism, in Spain where it was assisted by Philip II, in France where Cardinal Mazarin acted as its patron, and in the foreign missions, especially in several parts of Asia, the Theatines won many souls to God. The regular clerics of St. Paul, better known as the Barnabites, from their connection with the church of St. Barnabas at Milan, were founded by Antony Maria Zaccaria of Cremona, Bartholomew Ferrari, and Jacopo Morigia. Shocked by the low state of morals then prevalent in so many Italian cities, these holy men gathered around them a body of zealous young priests, who aimed at inducing the people by means of sermons and instructions to take advantage of the sacrament of penance. The order was approved by Clement the Seventh in 1533, and received many important privileges from successors. Its members worked in complete harmony with the secular clergy, and in obedience to the commands of the bishops. They bound themselves not to seek or accept any preferment or dignity, unless at the express direction of the Pope. In Milan, they were beloved by St. Charles Borromeo, who availed himself freely of their services, and they were invited to Annecy, and they were invited to Ancy by St. Francis de Sales. Several houses of the Barnabites were established in Italy, France, and Austria. In addition to their work of preaching and instructing the people, they established many flourishing colleges, and at the request of the Pope undertook charge of some of the foreign missions. The founder of the Oblates was St. Charles Borromeo, 1538-84, who was created cardinal by his uncle Pius IV at the age of twenty-three, and who during his comparatively short life did more for the reform of the church and for the overthrow of protestantism than any individual of his age it was due mainly to his exertions that the council of trent was reconvoked and to his prudent advice that it was carried to a successful conclusion once the decrees of the council had received the approval of the pope st charles spared no pains to see that they were put into execution not only in his own diocese of milan but throughout the entire church for a long time personal government of his diocese was impossible, as his presence in Rome was insisted upon by the Pope. But as soon as he could secure permission to hasten to Milan, where he repressed abuses with a stern hand, introduced regular diocesan and provincial synods, visited in person the most distant parts of the diocese, won back thousands who had gone over to heresy in the valleys of Switzerland, and defended vigorously the rights and the liberties of the Church against the Spanish representatives. In all his reforms he was supported loyally by the religious orders, more especially by the Jesuits and the Barnabites, with whom he maintained at all times the most friendly relations. At the same time he felt the need of a community of secular priests, who while remaining under the authority of the bishop was set an example of clerical perfection, and who would be ready at the request of the bishop to volunteer for the work that was deemed most pressing. He was particularly anxious that such a body should undertake the direction of the diocesan seminary, and should endeavour to send forth well-educated and holy priests. With these objects in view, he established the Oblates in 1578, and the community fully justified his highest expectations. The Oratorians were established by St. Philip Neri, 1515-95, the reformer and one of the patrons of Rome. He was a native of Florence, who, when still a young man, turned his back upon a promising career in the world, 
in order to devote himself entirely to the service of God. Before his ordination, he labored for fifteen years, visiting the sick in the hospitals, assisting the poor pilgrims, and instructing the young. He formed a special confraternity, and gathered around him a body of disciples, both cleric and lay. After his ordination, they were accustomed to hold their conferences in the little room, oratorium, oratory, over the church of St. Jeromeo. Here sermons and instructions were given on all kinds of subjects, particularly on the sacred scriptures, the writings of the fathers, and the leading events in the history of the church. The society was approved by Gregory the Thirteenth. 1575, under the title of the Congregation of the Oratory. It was to be composed of secular priests living together under a rule, but bound by no special vows. St. Philip Neri was convinced that the style of preaching in vogue at the time was responsible in great measure for the decline of religion and morality. Being a man of sound education himself, he insisted that his companions should devote themselves to some particular department of ecclesiastical knowledge, and should give the people the fruits of their study. Baronius, for example, the author of the celebrated Annalise Ecclesiastici, is said to have preached for thirty years on the history of the Church. In this way, St. Philip provided both for sound scholarship and useful instructions. Many branches of the oratory were founded in Italy, Spain, Portugal, and in the Spanish and Portuguese colonies in South America. Recognizing the need for an improvement in the education and lives of the French clergy, and mindful of the benefits conferred on Rome by the community of St. Philip Neri, the abbe, afterwards Cardinal Pierre de Barole, determined to found an oratory in Paris. The Paris oratorians were a community of secular priests, bound by no special vows, but living under a common rule, with the object of fulfilling as perfectly as possible the obligations they had undertaken at their ordination. The project received the warm support of Cardinal Richelieu, and was approved by Paul V in 1613. At the time, clerical education in Paris and throughout France was in a condition of almost hopeless confusion. The French oratorians, devoted as they were themselves to study, determined to organize seminaries on the plan laid down by the Council of Trent, and to take charge of the administration of such institutions. In philosophy, the oratory produced scholars, such as Malebranche, in theology, Thomason and Morin, in scripture, Hubdegant and Richard Simon, and in sacred eloquence, such distinguished preachers as Lejeune and Massillon. The oratorians survived the stormy days of the Jansenist struggle, though the peace of the community was disturbed at times by the action of a few of its members, but it went down before the wild onslaught of the revolution. It was revived, however, by Pierre Greatree in 1852. End of section 18